a study conducted by a Dutch psychologist. <laughs> Britain, think about this, Britain it was found to have the most individualistic society in the whole entire world. Now think about that just for a moment. Isn't it worth a little bit of uh, consideration that ours is supposedly the most me-centered culture that perhaps there ever has been? Now one area where this kind of individualism shows itself is in the area of respect. Like in years gone by, respect for, if we were going to think about respect, it'd be respect for other people that we would think about, isn't it? You know, think about years gone by, younger people, they would have been expected to to respect their elders in when they spoke and in how they spoke. Isn't it true, though, that that sort of idea has kind of changed somewhat? And today... If people think about respect, what do they think about? They think about the respect that is due to themselves. Isn't that right? We hear people all the time talking about the fact that they are demanding respect for themselves or or they have been disrespected. So it's changed a little bit, hasn't it? It's no longer respect for others, but it's much more the focus is on You know, it's a self-focused, self-oriented, self-centered thing, respect. Okay, what about in here? Like, what about in the life of the church, though? You know, we are called, you are called, I'm called to be different. We are supposed to stand out in this culture of individualism. Why? Well, we are called to be a community. We are a community. We're a covenant people, aren't we? You know, we are the very body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a community. So how does it work in here? Like, how should we or who should we respect and honor in the life of the church and as Christians? Well, I'll tell you what, in this portion of scripture that we're looking at this evening, Paul instructs us as the church to give honor to or to respect Three categories of people. And what I want to do to begin this sermon is just highlight in the text the three categories uh, that Paul highlights. So if you would do this with me, if you've got your Bibles there, have a look at verse 3 of chapter 5. What's the first group? (coughs) Excuse me. He tells us to give, what is it, proper recognition. Or, now get this, this is important. In the original, the idea is to give honor, honor to widows. Is that not right? So you've got that in verse 3. So you've got honor to widows. Okay, let's think about the next group. If you look on to verse 17. So there's that word again. We're... To give double honor, honor to elders. And then if you keep going on to chapter 6 and verse 1, we're told to give full respect, or get this, in the originals, the word again is honor, all honor to, this time, masters, or if you like, bosses. So, you following me? It's 
honor to widows. Then, there's a progression. It's then double honor to elders. Then there's a progression. It moves on again. And it's all honor. And this time, to masters or slaves. So you've got the three categories. Okay? So this evening, what we're going to do is we're going to consider respect. We're going to consider honor in the life of the church, from the church. And we're going to look and consider uh, those three categories briefly. Okay? That's the plan. So, you're going to open in front of you, I'm sure. Let's consider the first of those groups. Let's consider that Christians should honor their needy. Or the needy. Christians should honor the needy. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, so you can, you can see that Paul begins uh, chapter 5 with a reminder to Timothy that the church itself is a family. That Timothy in Ephesus is supposed to deal with the congregation in the same sort of way that he would deal with the members of his own household. But then almost immediately that, uh, as he sets that out, the tone of all of this kind of changes. Did you notice that? Like from verse 3 onwards, it does change. Like Paul seems to be speaking less from verse 3 to Timothy and much, much more to the church through Timothy. And, and, and he goes straight, or he moves straight to dealing with the honor of widows. Okay. I think it is worth us just pausing for a moment uh, and to appreciate or to consider the value that Scripture places on widows. Now, time and again throughout Scripture, uh, God is seen to value this sort of subsection, this vulnerable section of society. Is that not right? I mean, consider what you just sung. <laughs> What did you just sing a minute ago? Let me read it from, from Scripture. It says, God is the father of the fatherless. Okay, but what else? God is the protector of widows. So we've got this all the way through Scripture. God the father, the protector of this vulnerable group in society. Ah, but you go into the New Testament... And you find the same thing, it carries on. Like Jesus too, would you not agree that Jesus too, he places an amazing amount of value on those who are husbandless. If you think about that for a moment, where do we see that? We see him defending, remember, the poor widow's offering. Do you remember that? Is there any other examples you can think of? Well, what about Jesus raising to life the widow of Nain's son? So you see it, Jesus is, 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 is absolutely in unity with, with the Father. And then think about this. Think about the work of the very early church. Here's a question for you, trivia question. What was the very first controversy in the New Testament church? What was it? Was it about guitars and a worship service? Was it about what people wear to a worship? What was the first controversy? Act 6. What was it? It was about how best to care for, provide for widows. You see? Now, in light of all of this, you see what it is that Paul is, is doing here in First Timothy? 
He's calling for the church in Ephesus and, and, and for us, you know, for, for the whole church. He's calling for us to continue this, this focus, this emphasis on caring for widows. You see it, don't you? Now, what I do want you to notice is the very fact that Paul has here something structured and strum- something organized in mind when it comes to the widows. Would you look at verse 9 with me, please? You notice what he talks about. Now, he's talking about the care of widows, but what does he say? He mentions a, a list of widows, that this care was to be organized. Now, I, I really I would urge you not to make a mistake, an easy mistake that we could make here. When we're considering this list of widows in the church, we could assume that uh, entry onto the list was automatic for all widows. As soon as a a woman became a widow in Ephesus, she immediately gets added onto this list. Now, it's important to see that that is not the case. It is important to understand that there were criteria that women had to meet, that widows had to meet, in order to, to experience this very special care of the church and be added to this list. And I honestly believe that if we pay attention to the criteria that the women had to meet, that it will help us at London City Presbyterian Church with mercy ministry moving forward. Very important to think about the criteria. What criteria did these widows have to meet in order to experience this special care from the church? Well, let's look at it. First of all, these widows had to be godly. Look at verse 10. Paul says... Verse 10, let a widow be added, and here's your word, if, if she is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, and so on. So the question we've got to ask is, okay, why on earth then, was it not automatic, why did these widows have to show themselves as being godly? Okay, this week I got an email. Uh, from uh, the Reverend Colin Dow, who is uh, the minister of Glasgow City Presbyterian Church. Uh, and Master Dow uh, was asking me to, to go north and to preach at their communion season or whatever they call it in Glasgow. And so I got back to him almost immediately. And I said to him, well, okay, <laughs> I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. And God, we are two ways through. Let's, let's, let's do a deal with this, you know. Uh, I'll come and go north to Glasgow if you come south and minister to the good people of, of London City Presbyterian Church. Okay? Has to be a sort of two-way arrangement. Well, what I want you to see is that that was how this list of widows worked. You see, the the church was agreeing to provide this special care for certain widows if, if these widows would agree to involve themselves and assist with some of the ministry of the church in Ephesus. You see, it's a a two-way arrangement here. And given that it was this sort of arrangement, you see Paul's thinking here, don't you? Well, if they're going to be involved in the ministry of this church, then only women who have proven themselves to be faithful to God 
should be added to this list. Now, if you think about that just for a moment, surely you see how beautiful it is. Do you? I think it's beautiful. I mean, think about how it is that the elderly are treated in British society today. I mean, isn't it true that, that uh, older people can be sidelined? Isn't it true that elderly people can be overlooked by British society? And what are we learning here? We are learning that the church is to be radically different to that. I mean, we're learning here that not only is the church to care for and love the elderly, but the church is to do what? We're also to involve and include the elderly in the missionary work of the church. Lovely, isn't it? Okay, second criteria that, that widows had to meet if they were going to be added to this list is that they had to be independent. Now, uh, you know as well as I do that the average age uh, in the UK is on the rise, rapidly. Uh, you know, we're, we're told uh, an awful lot that there will be, uh, you know, going forward, there's going to be a lot more elderly people in our, uh, in our families, and that can be difficult. Um, I remember a conversation with a, a good, solid Christian man in a, a in a previous uh, congregation. And he was going through a horribly difficult time with two elderly parents. And, and, and he came to me and he was at his wit's end and he asked me, but really, from a Christian point of view, whose responsibility are they? And he really was at his wit's end, you know. And are they really still my responsibility? Aren't, aren't these elderly relatives, aren't, aren't they the state's responsibility? Well, what's the answer to that? Well, thankfully, Paul tells us here, and I, I do want you to see how he does that. Because notice what Paul does here. He begins and ends the section on widows, and he does it in the same way, beginning and end. He actually has a bit in the middle as well. Look at verse 4. He said, if a widow has, what? If a widow has children? Or if a a widow has grandchildren, what does he say? Let them first learn to show godliness. Isn't that an important lesson? Look at the end, though. Look at verse 16. He says something very similar, doesn't he? Now, I'll read it to you, verse 16. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her family... She should help them. So do you, do you, do you see the, the message that we've got here? The, the, the point that, that Paul's making? The church. You know, our job is not to jump in and rush in and supersede the duty that the family has to care for, for needy people, needy relatives. Surely we see there that the primary responsibility to provide for needy The primary responsibility, it lies with the needy person's loved ones. And isn't that right? And Paul's so keen to draw this out. And what does he do? He equates a failure to do this, if possible. He equates a failure to do this with a Christian's turning their back on the Lord Jesus Christ 
So a widow had to be godly, but a widow had to be independent. And then I mention a third uh, criteria here, and that is that widows had to be elderly. You see that in verse 11, do you? He says that younger widows, younger women, shouldn't be added to this list. And you can see his thinking as well, can't you? Because a desire to remarry might come in there, and that might cause them to break the vow or the pledge that being uh, entered into this list uh, involved. Friends, we need to consider what it is that we're being taught here. Because look around us. A London City Presbyterian Church, unlike many, many other congregations, we do not have an abundance of godly, independent, elderly widows, do we? But the principle, surely, is very, very clear. Who is it that we are supposed to respect and honor in the life of this congregation? Well, in light of the love that you and I have been shown by the Lord Jesus Christ, as what? What are we? Needy, very, very needy sinners. In light of that love, you and I as Christians, we are to show care, love, and compassion for the needy in our families, but also compassion and love and care for the needy in our own congregation. Then secondly, we see here that Christians should honor their elders. Uh, Christians should honor their elders. Right. One of the most fascinating things about being a pastor of a a multicultural church, (coughs) excuse me, is just seeing how different cultures and different people treat their ministers or view their ministers. It's, it's, It's fascinating to see. Let's start up here. Uh, the South Koreans, you know, what I've learned is that the South Koreans, they, ha- they respect their ministers. They absolutely respect uh, their ministers. Then we sort of move down a little bit. We maybe get to the uh, Americans who also show an awful lot of American people. They show a lot of respect for their pastors. Not as much as the South Koreans. Nobody does it as much as the South Koreans, but, you know, still respect the pastors. Then you go get down here to us Brits. Isn't, isn't that right? And, uh, you know, we, we sort of tend to view our ministers as the lowest of the low, don't we? Now, tell you what, let's, let's move my scale to the side for a moment. Let's forget about uh, what we think. Let's consider just for a moment how God desires that to be. In the life of his church. Now, here in front of you, the Apostle Paul tells the church, tells us to be careful. And to be careful about three things. First of all, he tells us to be careful about the disciplining of our elders. Now, all the way through this section, what really comes out clearly and we'd urge you to read it again tonight, but what comes out of it very clearly is Paul's concern for the reputation of the church. Really concerned for the reputation of the people of God. And that's very clear here. See, in Deuteronomy 19, 
the people of God, they have been told that they are not to convict, if you like, or condemn a person unless there was a couple of reliable witnesses. You remember that? But what does he say here about the church? Look at verse 19. I mean, it's, it's ever so slightly different, though. I mean, it's, it's almost he's, he's like he's saying, okay, you've got that, but forget condemning elders. Look what he says. Don't even entertain an accusation against an elder unless there are two witnesses. Now, you see the lesson? You and I are to give absolutely no time at all to gossip about spiritual leadership in a congregation unless that gossip can absolutely be sustained and substantiated. What What about if it can't be proved? Well, Paul tells us, he makes that clear as well, doesn't he? He says, look, if there is public sin, then the church has to be hard on its elders. Like, no partiality at all. Look, if there is public sin, then there also has to be a public rebuke of the elders. Why? To serve as a warning to other people. So we've got to be careful about how we discipline our ministers and our elders. The second thing, we've also got to be careful in appointing our elders. Now, can I, can I say this? Can I just establish here the importance, the relevance of what Paul says at this point to us? If you're a member of this church, you are also, as you should know, I hope, a member of the Free Church of Scotland. If you're visiting us tonight, that's our denomination. A group of churches called the Free Church of Scotland. Now, what is that? Let me tell you, that is a small denomination. And it is a collection of largely small congregations. And the same thing can be found in a lot of those congregations. People sitting on the edge of their seats, desperate, praying that new men would come into those congregations. New men to come in and take a position of leadership. New men to come in and become deacons and to become elders. Congregations right across the country, desperate for this to happen. Paul speaks to that here. Look what he says. Look at verse 22. Do not be hasty. Do not be hasty in the laying of hands. Do not be hasty in the appointment of elders. You see what he's saying? We've got to resist in here the temptation to sort of fast track people into spiritual leadership. We've got to, we've got to pause. We've got to wait. We've got to give time to see if areas of unsuitability, areas of sin might bubble up to the surface. But it's the third area that I want us to consider. (laughs) We've seen the, the disciplining of elders. We've seen the appointing of elders. Let's consider the honoring of elders. Let, let me be straight with you. I, I, I don't imagine I'm going to find this very easy. Because having a slated prosperity gospel preachers the last couple of weeks, I'm scared of sounding like that guy. Remember the guy who asked this congregation to provide him with a private jet? 
oh, I'm scared. Can we tackle this of sounding like, like him? But by the same token, surely we see that by we cannot ignore what it is that God is saying here. That if I was to do that, if I was to pass over these verses, which is a temptation, that that would also be wrong. So let's deal with it. What does God say? Would you look at verse 17? Let me read it to you. Follow along. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose works preaching and teaching. So what, what does it mean? Let's, let's start there. What does it mean? Well, you notice it's not honour. It is double honour. Or two types of honour, perhaps. On one hand, you see what Paul's doing. He is calling for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, calling to the church to respect those over them in the Lord. To respect their elders, but to respect their pastors and ministers and teachers. Okay, But there's the other side of it as well. Isn't there double honor? There is here a word for the payment of pastors. Isn't that right? Isn't it? Doesn't money come into it? That, that ministers are not just to be honoured, but there's to be an honorarium. Is that all right? Now, do, maybe you you think, oh, well, here he is. The, 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 this appeal for the, the jet is, is coming fast. Do you think I'm reading too much into that? That it's about cash, about money. Look at what Paul cites. A labourer deserves his wages. I mean... We can't get away from the fact that it is about uh, finance here. Now, very often, you know how this goes, don't you? Uh, very often, people sort of stick their hand up and they say, oh, I don't like this very much. And they cite Paul. They use him as an example, don't they? They say, oh, well, you know, we don't have to pay our ministers. I mean, Paul, come on, you know, Paul is the, the greatest and, and he was mending tents on the side. But you see, don't you, that Paul never, never, ever desired that to be the template for the New Testament church. What was it he said in 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians 9. And you listen to this. Paul says, The Lord has commanded... That those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So this is maybe not easy, maybe not easy on a Sunday evening, maybe it's not easy to talk about, maybe it's not even easy to preach on or to hear. The principle though, ah, the principle's fairly clear in scripture, in God's word, is it not? That because we do not want our ministers to be sidetracked by undue financial concern. What are we supposed to do? I mean, what is God calling for in his church? We're to honor. We're to honor our ministers. We're to show respect. And we are to pay them appropriately. Now, before I move on, let me just say this. We are incredibly blessed we really are. We're incredibly blessed in here. And I'll tell you why. 
Because we are part of a Presbyterian system of government. <laughs> Do you know what that does? That protects us from abuse, largely. So it's not that I'm calling for a private jet. I couldn't get one even if I wanted to. If you donate money to the church, do you know what happens? That money goes up to the central offices of the free church and they pay me a set amount. It's not that I'm calling for, for, for extra money. That's not what this is about. But I will say this. That there before you in verse 17 is what? It is a command from Almighty God. So are you obeying that command? Are you aware of the financial situations of churches? Are you aware of the financial situation of this church? More than that, are you contributing to the ministry of this church? It's maybe not easy tonight, but what is it we're called to do? We're called to honor widows, and we are called to double honor to our elders. And then thirdly, Christians should honor their bosses. Okay, so you see how it's going. We have dealt with uh, respect, if you like, in the life of the church. And we care and honor the needy. We uh, respect our elders, those over us in the Lord. But tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, most here are going to or even earlier than that, for, for some of you, are going to have to go into the workplace. And so, how does it work there? Like, how do we as Christians show respect out there? In that environment, what does God desire from us, from you? Well, chapter 6, in the first couple of verses, what Paul does is he deals with the, I think one commentator called them the primary economic relationship in the first century. So that was the relationship between slaves and masters. So legitimately, what we can do tonight is apply what he says to the primary economic relationship of the 21st century. And what is that? That's the relationship between you and your boss. That's the relationship between employer or employee and employer. Okay. Just before we get there, let me just say a word defending Paul from the accusation that he is condoning slavery here. I mean, we, we dealt with this a couple of months ago, but we've, we, you hear this argument, don't you? You know, that Paul is writing and addressing slaves. So therefore, Paul is surely advocating and condoning slavery. Now, that is not the case. If you think about it in the pastoral epistles, this is what Paul does. When he is writing about children, what does he do? He bases that in the will of God. He will base it in the fifth commandment. If he's writing about marriage relationships or the roles of the genders, what does he do? Bases it in the will of God, bases it in the creation ordinances, the order of creation. What does he do when he's dealing with slavery? Does he base it in the will of God? No. 
Because although God has allowed or permitted slavery, it is not it is not something that is approved by the Lord God Almighty. But that said, it still existed in the first century. And there were Christians in Ephesus who were slaves. Did we really expect Paul not to, to care for these people, not to address them and deal with them? No, of course he's going to give them instruction. So what does he say? Well, if you look at verse 2, verse two, Paul exhorts believers to respect Christian bosses. Okay, so you see the lesson for us. Should our employer be a Christian? We must do everything in our power to extend to them brotherly, sisterly, Christian love. But it's really uh, what he says to un- about unbelieving bosses, which I think probably covers most, most of you tonight that I want to underline. Uh, years ago, uh, I worked in a, a, a huge, big supermarket in, uh, in Edinburgh. And I will never forget one of the, the chaps that I worked with. This guy hated the boss. <laughs> and I don't use that term uh, lightly. He hated the boss. And the boss would only come into the super, supermarket now and again. But whenever the boss came in, this guy, <laughs> what he would do is just be the, the ideal employee. I mean, he would work at 100,000 miles an hour and he'd be dressed, you know, beautifully and he would, yes, boss, I'll do this. And, and then, uh, when half an hour later, 45 minutes later, when the, the boss would leave the premises, what would this guy do? <laughs> he would retire to this little makeshift bed that he had made for himself down the stockroom behind a freezer and he would make up for the time that he had worked by getting a couple of hours sleep. Now, is this permitted? Is this the sort of thing that is allowed? Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. Now, in all seriousness, consider what it is that Paul does not see in verse 1. What we might expect him to say, he doesn't say. He doesn't say your master or your boss is due full respect. He doesn't say your your master is due all honor. What does he say? He says to the slaves, but he says to us, consider your master or regard your boss as being worthy. Of all respect or all honor. Now you see the, the difference there, don't you? I mean, you see what this means. Regardless of how ill-deserving your boss is, and regardless of how under the yoke you are in the workplace, what is it that you are called to do as a Christian? Regardless of the circumstance, regardless of their personality, you are called to show your boss all honor and all respect. What does he say? Consider our masters worthy of full respect. So let me end this with the motivation for that. Because maybe you're saying, ah, well, maybe, but you don't know what a beast my boss is. 
Why would we do this? Why would we submit like this to, to what are sometimes pretty wicked people in the workplace? What's the motivation that Paul gives us here? Look, carry on. See, look what he says. We do this so that God's name, God's name, and our teaching might not be slandered. So do you see it? There is evangelistic motivation for all of this. That in all of these circumstances in the church, but in these circumstances at work, those difficult circumstances at work, We are called to be Christ's ambassadors. Why? Because even there, even in the workplace, what are we wanting to do but point these people to him? To the Lord Jesus Christ. To the one who's done what for us? What has he done for us? If you think about it, it puts it all in perspective, doesn't it? He became a slave. And he became a slave for you. You see that? I mean, he had all of these rights and all of the honor of the heavenly realms. And what does he do for you? He sets it all aside. He takes off that glory. He descends to earth. He, He suffers such humiliation. All to win salvation for you. So friends, let's pray that we live appropriately in response to the glory of what it is that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, shall we? I mean, let's let's really pray that we will do this, that we would honor widows and the needy people, that we would honor our elders, that we would honor even our bosses. Why? Why? What's the motivation? So that All honor would go to the one and the only one who truly deserves all of the respect and all of that honor and all of the glory. We do this so that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ might be exalted. Let's pray.